And when you enter a boardroom and it's full of basically male chimpanzees in suits, you're really not getting the very good decision making because literally half our cultural evolutionary brain is missing from the process. Welcome to the Authentically Successful Show. I'm Carol Schultz, founder and CEO of Vertical Elevation, a talent equity and leadership coaching and advisory firm. We partner with founders and CEOs to create talent-centric organizations, either where they don't currently exist or rebuild companies into talent-centric organizations. We are committed to supporting your vision and values by creating healthy, successful companies, leveraging the best talent, retention, development, and succession strategies. Listen at the end of the show for information about becoming my next guest on one of the most important podcasts for building thriving companies. Here we go. Joining me today is Leif Cox, founder of the Orangutan Project, which he established in 1998. Leif is a world-renowned orangutan expert who has spent almost 30 years working with them. Leif's years in the field have earned him the respect with the conservation field. He has been a key player in developing conservation plans for orangutans and influencing positive change for orangutan protection and survival. This includes the first ever successful reintroduction of the zoo-born orangutan. This respect has given the Orangutan Project world standing in conservation. And if that's not enough, he's the author of the book, Finding Humanity, An Inner Journey Towards Understanding Ourselves and the Way Forward. Leif, welcome to the show. Oh, it's a wonderful being here, Carol. Thank you. My pleasure. So without making any assumptions, what's the biggest problem that your organization is solving? Well, we only got this next decade to save viable ecosystems because mm, yeah. you just can't save let's say, a small patch of forest of um, here and there. It basically ecologically collapses. So we got to save ecosystems the right type, shape, and size for the ecosystem itself to survive, but also because we're dealing with conserving megafauna such as orangutans, tigers, and elephants, and trying to provide livelihoods with dignity to the indigenous communities. It needs to be a certain size in order to support the megafauna people and biodiversity. And unfortunately, we only got the next decade to do that. If we miss this opportunity, yes, there will be orangutans after the next decade, but the populations will probably spiral to extinction. Yes, there'll be rainforests, but those rainforest ecosystems will eventually collapse and will lose the lungs of the world, which is helping mitigate climate change. Right. So, as I mentioned, you you founded the company in 1998, um, and at that time you were still working for the Perth Zoo, I believe, where you spent about 26 years. Tell me a little bit about your journey uh, from the time you got out of school, university, mm-hmm. to founding the Orangutan Project. Well, I always wanted to um, work with animals, um, which is unusual because, you know, I, I come from Hong Kong, which is, you know, one of the largest metropolises that you, you can imagine. Right. Um, and so I started, um, once I left university, I started working at the zoo um, and then eventually found my way to, um, to working with the orangutans and discovered that they're self-aware persons that didn't belong in captivity. 
and unfortunately quickly discovered they've been driven to extinction in the most horrific ways that we can be imagined, being burnt alive and machetted to death. As just two examples. So that started my lifelong mission to um, save orangutans. At, at first it was um, um, part-time working, developing the orangutan project on my holidays going up into um, Borneo and rescuing orangutans um, from the illegal pet trade. Um, but eventually it, it got so um, large that it, it, it basically had to um, take over my, my full-time attention. But by that time, when I became full-time in the job, I was already taking the orangutans from the zoo and reintroducing them back into the wild areas that we've been protecting. So how, how much of a challenge is that to take something born and raised in a zoo in captivity um, and let it, let it go free? <laughs> Yeah, no, it, it, it's it's a long process. Um, one one of the major things is that obviously they need physical health, but they also need mental health. As just seen with humans, orangutans cannot learn, socialize, progress unless they had a fundamental mental health that is required. But also, um, just as humans, we predominantly adapt to an environment not by natural selection alone, but by culture. And orangutans also predominantly adapt to the environment through culture, being born with vacant brains, long maternal training periods. So all that has to be replaced by other orangutans in the cohort or by us teaching them themselves. So it's certainly not a simple process, but it's worthwhile for two reasons. We only see the dignity and the beauty of orangutans when they're free to live in the wild in their own cultures but also the critically endangered species, they're helping, each individual is helping their species to survive by going back to the wild and, of course, ultimately protecting that rainforest habitat. Is that where they primarily live in the rainforest? That, that's correct, and that's the only place they can live. And so um, it, the, 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 their future is very much tied to the future of the rainforest and it's right. no coincidence that the future rainforest is actually very tied into future humanity because right. um, we need the rainforest as, as one of the ways that we need to apply intelligent work in order to save this planet from the climate crisis at this time. Mm-hmm. Well, is, I mean, and, and isn't there massive just decimation of the rainforest happening? And how are you? How how are people going about protecting it? Well, what we're doing is we are working in seven ecosystems, and mm. we're applying a range of um, actions from ranges, community development, leasing land, purchasing land, cooperative agreements to protect land to piece together these vital ecosystems before it's too late. Now, is this going to be the ultimate? what we need to do well we need to do a lot more we know scientists are telling us as well as mitigating our effect on climate through the livestock industry and and the carbon industry mm-hmm. industry like fossil fuels we also have to rewild about 25 percent of the planet and so we not only have to save these ecosystems and develop agricultural systems under the rainforest canopy with indigenous communities for allow them to prosper um, but into the future we need to actually use these resources at the last viable ecosystems to expand and, and start rewilding 
uh, the planet to the extent that we can stabilize the Earth's climate. So you do quite a bit in addition to this, you do a quite a bit of advisory work and, and nonprofit work. Tell me a little bit about some of the things you're involved in. In, in the conservation side of things, um, I would say orangutans may be the center of my love, but not the boundary of it. And mm-hmm. if we're really going to do good in this world, it has to be holistic. It has to be inclusive of all living beings. Otherwise, right. it's like a jigsaw puzzle with a piece missing, and the, and the, and, the, and the jigsaw puzzle falls apart. And so we started the International Elephant Project, the International Tiger Project, to bring those species along the extinction crisis. And uh, we also started Forest for People, where we're working with indigenous communities to support them and, and allow them to not only live but prosper uh, and with dignity and empower them within the rainforest ecosystems as the final guardians of, of the work that we're doing. Now, during, during this journey, of course, is um, as you know, especially coming from a perspective of a primatologist, um, I've learned a lot about humans as another great ape and, and how we work and mm-hmm. operate. And so I do quite a lot of talks and lectures um, on about um, humanity and how mm-hmm. we interact with each other and the environment. And ultimately, I touch, um, be it for a better word, on the spirituality of humanity and talk about the need for us to reform ourselves internally before we can really form the world outside. Because it, in my conservation work, I've seen so many times um, work and cooperation collapses um, because people are trying to save the world while still having this hollowness inside themselves and in name, fame, money, and power. And actually spend the time competing against other conservationists instead mm. of applying all their energy um, to the work that is so greatly needed at this time. How have you, I mean, I'm assuming you bootstrapped your organization, right? You, or, or, or you know, because it doesn't sound like the kind of thing that venture capital would get involved in, right? I mean, they're, you know, they're, they're looking mm-hmm. for a return on their money. Correct. How did you, how did you get this off the ground and grow it to the approximately 200 people that you now have on the ground? Mm-hmm. Well, we, we just started, you know, I just started one day, um, got a few volunteers, formed a committee. And, and move forward uh, one step at a time. Um, and my, my major skill, you know, is collectivizing, bringing mm-hmm. people together and bringing people different skills, knowledge and, and to, together. And so that's basically uh, what I've done. Um, over my time, I've collectivized in the field you know, t- um, for effective organization, companies and foundations to affect the meaningful change on the ground. But also... I've collectivized with wonderful people around the world. So we have chapters in New Zealand, Australia, Canada, US, the European Union. And so mm-hmm. over time, um, yeah, I, I brought together some wonderful, dedicated people with skills. And, um, and I would posit that actually that is humanity's greatest skill. As, as individuals, we're actually not as smart as we think we are or as skilled as we think we are. And we only have ever achieved anything, um, whether it's in industry or social, in, in a social context, by collectivizing together. And I believe that's probably um, my major asset in, in um, the growth right. of the organization to the level it's today. 
Well, and I, you know, I think a little bit of what, you know, what I'm hearing from you, of course, in, in a different terminology, um, is if I think of startups, they have to put a team together, right? And that team has to be diverse in a way that you get lots of different thinking and different ideas because sure. that will work a lot better than just one or two ideas and thinking, right? Exactly, in all sorts yeah. of different ways. So you, so often the, the cliche manager will employ somebody like himself, same values, but not as smart, i.e. not as threatening. Mm-hmm. And so it's a race to the bottom. But what you want to do is employ people smarter than you, which yes. think differently to you. And one of the mm-hmm. key things what we've done from the beginning is um, even before COVID, we have never had an office. We've never had a filing mm-hmm. cabinet. Mm-hmm. Everybody works from where they are around the world off their laptop and we have on Google Drive and connections. So one, it keeps our administration costs way down sure. because we're not paying mm-hmm. for bricks and mortar right. electricity. Invest more but, money into the work you're doing. Yeah. But, but the other thing is, is we've found is this um, method of working where people work from home has meant that a lot of um, the, the, the women within the organization have been continuing their careers without interruption. They raise their children while working full time for us and we work around school drop offs mm-hmm. and, and those sorts of things. Now, this is actually not just um, merely because obviously it's a good thing to value and empower women in the workplace, but mm-hmm. it, it is it's fact that um, men and women actually think very differently. Men tend to be short term, <laughs> win lose, women are long term, um, you know, um, c- connections. <laughs> and we've actually evolved, have been effective how we've evolved over millions of years by having those feminine and masculine powers that are equal to each other and interacting each other to make the most mm-hmm. intelligent decisions. And when you enter a boardroom and it's full of basically male chimpanzees in suits, you're really not getting the very good decision-making because literally half our cultural evolutionary brain is missing um, from mm-hmm. the process. And, of course, ultimately, um, women are, in a sense, humanity's connection to nature, Mother Earth, mm-hmm. you know, that long-term mm-hmm. thinking connection, um, which mm-hmm. is so sorely missed um, you know, in, in today's um, corporate world. And I, and I would be remiss to, to not put a point on that, that more and more research has been um, coming out that women uh, on executive leadership teams directly, directly contribute to the bottom line more than men. Hmm. Yeah. Which is really interesting. Yeah. I, and I think, it, I think it's because, you know, as I mentioned, we, we work well together. We're meant to work together. Mm-hmm if that makes sense. There was always in the tribe, yes, you have the the, the men who compete, you know, the unrelated men compete to, you know, but you had that, you had that feminine power, doesn't make sense, that, you know, that, Mm -hmm. that, that, that were in the matriarchal societies which we involved, that, that Mm -hmm. kept the, the, the community grounded and, and connected to nature. And, Mm -hmm. and that, that powerful inherent intelligence is unfortunately so missing. Um, in, in many to in many today's organizations. Right. So Leif, tell me a little bit about how you have raised money over the years, because, you know, nobody's working for free <laughs> and, you know, you're a nonprofit, which makes it even harder. Um, well, 
<clears throat> luckily as I mentioned, our overheads are very low, so we can you yes. know, maximize our input. The other side of things is things are very cheap in Indonesia where we're mainly working. You know, mm-hmm. um, so for two thousand US a year, we employ a, a ranger in the field who's risking their wow. lives every day, and so we get a lot of bang for our, our buck. So we can um, be mm-hmm. lean and mean and still affect meaningful change. But mm-hmm. it, it, but it's always just been about. Um, well, one is get, getting lots of small donors giving us regular gifts and you know connecting them to make meaningful change and. And enriching their lives because we feel better and we have better, more meaningful lives if we can connect to something larger than ourselves and, and see that make a meaningful change to others um, on, on the planet. And then I also have quite a few wonderful major donors, which tend to all be alumni um, from my echo tours. I take people um, five, six oh, times a year into the rainforest, connect with the rainforest, connect with the orangutans, give fireside chats every, every night. Mm-hmm. And for many of them, they yeah. live actually, you know, really interesting, rich lives. But often they come back um, saying this is the most um, important, significant um, opportunity that they've had um, and experience mm-hmm. that, they've, that they've had. And that, of mm-hmm. course, obviously um, inspires them to to. You know, if it when they if they can win afford it to give major gifts, that really helps us um, keep going. Mm-hmm. So, so people have to know who you are before you take someone on an eco tour. So, how are people? I mean, I until I met you, I was completely unaware of your organization. Mm-hmm. So, how are people finding out about it? Yeah, no, that's that's a very that's actually you know the harder thing is how do you raise in the general mass of things, how do you raise a Awareness. profile yeah. to, right. to, to at least appear um, to be a, an option for, for, mm-hmm. for people's time and, and interest? And so that's a major challenge. Um, <clears throat> social media uh, has been a blessing to us to sure. try to use social media to connect to others. And I've spent a lot of time, as well as obviously living in the, in the jungle and taking people echo tours, is... Um, living out of a suitcase, traveling around the world, you know, and, um, you know, um, giving talks and, and connecting. Um, it, it, it's, a, it's a hard way to live. Um, but, um, yeah, at the moment, that's the best way, that, the best opportunities we have um, to connect to a large enough audience in order for us to keep the finances going um, to, to meet our vision for the future. And do organizations that know you bring you in to do talks or, you know, do you reach out to organizations to give these talks to make people aware of you? Um, well, there are two ways. We, we will actually organize a talk and advertise it in, in a particular okay. um, lo- location or, you know, as, you know, as our um, community of people who, who know about us expand, for example, a couple of months ago, I did it. I was a keynote speaker in a psychology conference in Singapore, yeah. talking about yeah. how to manage people and circumstances in high stress conditions. And mm-hmm. and so often, people who I, I do work with and I take into the jungle, um, they often, for example, um, may see the opportunity for to me not just to talk about orangutans, um, but, but right. talk about my my greater experience. And so whether it's um, 
Silicon Valley startups in San Francisco, which I've talked to, or psychologists in Singapore, they take the opportunity to um, to gain a different insight into the subjects mm-hmm. they're interested in um, through my life's work. Yeah, it's amazing how much something that something that you are doing that doesn't isn't necessarily directly related. What nobody would think it would be directly related to, you know, what somebody some tech firm in Silicon Valley. How much that really does relate? <laughs> yeah, well, it, one of the things we we miss is look, we're a great ape, and we mm-hmm. have behaviors and actions, right? And despite you know you may be looking fancy in a suit in in, in the in the um, in the boardroom, you you know you and the others around you are acting like great apes and responding at a subconscious level that you may not be aware of. You know, um, and so to understand yourself and to understand those around you is one of the most powerful um, um, skills what one can have. Is because as we just discussed, no startup can can work unless they start collectivizing people and understanding how and working with people, but understanding fundamentally the creature that they are. Yeah, um, it, it is is yeah is one of those powerful tools that you can have, you know, probably even more so than your skill and knowledge on the subject yet your company may be exploring. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. What would you say are, and I think I may have already heard it, but I want to just ask you point blank. What would you say are the biggest challenges you're facing right now? The biggest challenge at at the moment is, is, is funds. Yeah, you know. Okay. So any process, you know, if you examine any business or process, there's always one step, which is the, determining the rate of progress of the mm-hmm. other steps. You know, whether it's innovation, technology, ca- capital, labor. For us, it, it, it's money. We have, you know, we we have those ecosystems identified. We have the processes. We have wonderful skilled people and on on the ground um yeah so the, the challenge for us is especially post covid and and the recession and the squeezing of the middle class um yeah our, our biggest challenge at the moment is is to is to raise sufficient funds um, to to yeah. keep the projects um firing at at, at full steam to achieve the well, mission that can't be easy for any nonprofit these days given you know how Everything has, you know, practically doubled in price. <laughs> you know, we're certainly gone up by at least fifty percent. <laughs> it, it, it's very difficult, um, yeah. But it, it's very worthwhile, uh, and it's so important yes. that um, mm-hmm. not not just mm-hmm. for um, the orangutans, but you know, the whole mm-hmm. key, the whole planet and future generations. So mm-hmm. this is this is good that benefits all. So. It is mm-hmm. certainly, despite the hardships and and the challenges, it's, it still mm-hmm. remains uh, a a wonderful, worthwhile pursuit to us mm-hmm. to pursue. If you look uh, over the last twenty five years since you founded the organization, what would you say uh, as a leader are some of the mistakes that you've made, and what have you done to correct them? Why do you think you've made them, and what have you done to correct them? I guess one of the things is is um, to make mistakes. Um, yeah. Is because we learn from our mistakes, and actually, mm-hmm. we're not performing at optimum level unless we're at that peak where we're making mistakes, making mistakes, and 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 re readjusting them. 
and and, we, and that should and that applies to ourselves and our staff. We allow them the opportunity to make mistakes and grow. And I think um, with I think we're often all um, been victim to this is hanging on to things too long, you know. And for example, if you if you have an an, an employee who's you know is um, not performing very well, you know. Mm-hmm. And you, you, you can, you know, instead of taking them on that process, um, you know, to uh, uh, better opportunities, you, you, you hang on, you hang on too long, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Of course. I mean, you said that that's, that is not uncommon. Exactly. And, and the reason is we, we're compassionate and we're concerning and, 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 and we're loving. And so mm-hmm. that's it. So in some senses, then I'm even loathe to even apply that as a mistake. It's certainly, you know, is certainly, um, I hate to be the other way around, you know, where, where, um, where we judge people f- far too harshly and, and quickly in, in their performance. Um, so yeah, those, those are the, um, kind of two, well, my two takeaways for, you know, make mistakes, give, keep moving, learning, moving forward. Um, and yeah, and be aware, um, you know, that, um, yeah, Sometimes we have to know w- mm-hmm. when we have to move on. Yeah. So as I mentioned earlier, you've got about 200 people uh, on the ground. Tell me a little bit about your talent strategy. Where are you finding people? Um, where do you see challenges? Well, I actually tend to um, employ people for values. I know that's mm-hmm. probably not... Um, not the usual because people normally employ for skills, which of course you need and and, and talent. Mm-hmm. I find values are far more important and have longevity. You know, um, skills and knowledge can actually be taught relatively easy. Values are very hard and often mm-hmm. very set. And so, mm-hmm. um, most of the people who have been with me and been with me for you know over you know for decades are people who share my values, share yeah. share my my compassion. Mm-hmm. Um, and that also provides, especially in industries such as us, we, we're talking about the difficult industry um, and, and hard. Uh, without those values, intrinsically, you believing in the cause and believing in those values, you will soon burn out. You know, yes. you, you won't last. Um, and so, yeah, uh, so we have lots of you know, fantastic people. Um, I mean, for example, if you ring up the Orangutan Project, yet you, there's a wonderful young man. I, young to me, I guess, but but it called Andrew, and Andrew, um, you know, is, a, is an alumni. He's been on three. He was on three of my Echo tours, you know, and he just worked at call centres. He wasn't a rich guy, but he gave his money. He he saved up and went on the Echo tours, you know, and now, wow. yep, yeah, now he now he worked for us, you know, but he knows everything. He has the values, you know. He he works mm-hmm. so hard and dedicated. Um, mm-hmm. you know, and so, um, and so in some ways, you know, Andrew is the perfect example of a wonderful man who, who found me, you know? Yeah. Yeah. No, no. I, you know, I think that's really fantastic. And, and I think what I'm hearing from you is really how you describe or define your culture. Right. And I say all the time, I mean, yeah, you, you know, you should have people with skills and abilities, whether you, whether you can teach them or they need to have them already mm-hmm. depends, right? Depends on what your, what your, your organization does. Right. But 
you know, somewhere north of 50% of people turn over in the first 18 months for reasons mm-hmm. having nothing to do with their skills and abilities. Yeah. It boils down to the culture mm-hmm. and the culture that you've built. So how would you define your culture? I mean, I think I'm hearing a little bit of that, but. Yeah, a culture is, is, is love, understanding. Yeah, um, you know, mm-hmm. and, and providing as a le- leader, my job is to provide the vision you know, mm-hmm. um, for, for, for which mm-hmm. we're working for and keep people on that vision and, and yeah. um, in, in, in order to um, achieve that. And so that, that's our, um, I think that's our culture, love and compassion and, and yeah. yeah, and connection to a higher cause because right. everything, as I may have mentioned with conservation earlier, everything has to be a win-win solution. Mm-hmm. Um, that's including your organization, your staff. They've got to benefit, grow, you know, um, and, and, and be rewarded. Um, otherwise, you're not successful. There's always has to be a win-win solution. Otherwise, you haven't found the real solution yet. Well, right. And and when somebody has that kind of passion, you know, like you said, they'll keep going. And most people with passion will go through walls for you. <laughs> Right, uh, especially you know if you if you really bring that vision home. Um, you mentioned earlier about you know a ranger in Indonesia costing you about two thousand U.S. dollars a year, and that is dangerous. What makes that job dangerous? Oh, it's just the inherent nature. Um, you know, we had a, you know um, two rangers. Um, the four driver rolled over and they've been killed. We've had two drown. Um, you know, we've had one, um, you know, die from, um, disease, um, oh disease that almost killed me. Um, but the unfortunate, um, this particular, um, guy didn't make it. Um, mm. and so just the inherent nature, I mean, just recently because swine flu has been going decimating the peak population, the t- tigers are extremely hungry and, ah. um, some of the ranges have been attacked by, um, starving tigers. And so, oh dear. just so you, so it's just a general, um, what I call third world problems. <laughs> you know, I call right. it first world problem. Why about whether uh, a, a coffee is cold or not? You know, so mm-hmm. or yeah, um, are we going to get a, a bonus at Christmas? But you know, um, <laughs> yeah. So th- these these are very much different problems of um, of yeah of um, mm-hmm. health and survival. Um, but the wonderful thing is these, these brave young men are willing to do that, um, you know, to, to, um, to risk so much, yeah, um, in order to, to see a, a brighter future, um, not only um, for orangutans, but for their own communities. Mm-hmm. What are you most proud of when it comes to your organization? Um, I'm most proud of um, the, the real on-the-ground results that, that we've then managed to achieve. You only are what you measure. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so, um, and conservation often is, um, can be extremely ineffective. Uh, charity can be extremely ineffective and, and charities easily lose their way. And so we always in our annual impact study and measure the real things that our values are about. Saving rainforests, saving trees, right. saving wild populations, rescuing orangutans, <clears throat> and so we we measure those, and the, mm-hmm. those real outcomes, and those real life changing differences, 
Uh, and the wonderful thing is, you know, we're saving, you know, hundreds of thousand hectares of rainforest. Um, right. So whole viable ecosystems. But every individual orangutan in the ecosystem has its own individual story of, you know, being rescued, rehabilitated, you know, and mm-hmm. nursed back to life, you know, and, and, and taken on that journey to be free and, and live in dignity again in the rainforest. And so both at the uh, human level, you know, and, you know, the, the conceptual level of, of you know, um, conservation, it's, it's been, yeah, it's been some wonderful results um, mm-hmm. that um, the team has done. And which I'm, I'm very, very proud of them. So, if if someone was getting into your industry, and I don't mean necessarily orangutans, I mean somebody looking to get into, you know, saving some other animal, right? What kind of advice would you give them? But my first advice is you cannot reform the world unless you reform yourself. So start yeah. working on yourself. Um, yeah. So. If you have this hollowness or desire for name, fame, money, power, reputation, right? This isn't for you. You will come out and destroy the outcomes mm-hmm. you're trying to create. You try and join love and peace within yourself mm-hmm. and express that through your work. And then you'll mm-hmm. be, then not only you'll be happy, you will actually affect real, meaningful, um, lasting change. And the second thing is, um, as we've, we talked about a lot in this um, podcast is learn to collectivize. Yeah. Yeah. Learn to realize that, um, as individuals, we're not very powerful and, and, and yeah, and learn to, um, attract and, and, um, and reward and, and bring beautiful, wonderful people along with you on the journey. Amazing. Um, tell me a little bit about what your day to day looks like as a leader. Like, what do you spend your time doing? Other than speaking. <laughs> it was, it, it's extremely e- eclectic. Um, this yeah. is interesting. Um, when I was still at, at the zoo, that we went away on these, um, you know, corporate weekends, you know, for team building of, of, the, mm. of the managers, and you had to build this paper tower. And I asked the facilitator, you know, you could have some people directing everybody and ordering, and there was the, the little mouse just putting things together quietly. I said, well, how do you know who's who's a real leader? And the real leader is the one who does whatever is needed to get that tower done, whether sitting there quietly folding something or directing the tower or doesn't make sense <laughs> or getting the coffee. It doesn't matter. The real leader supplements whatever he's doing, doesn't make sense, to the greater cause and fills in the gaps that is necessary for the team to achieve their goals. Right. Yeah, and so 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 it's not so for for me. It's not about defining who Leif is mm-hmm. as you know the the you know the founder of the organization. Right, I'm the one who goes around talks, or I'm the one that directs the workshop. That's not the case. I'm the one that does a whole variety of things. Whereas I'm giving talks, right. echo tours, running meetings, on board meetings, um, planning workshops, um, supporting my staff. To me, I'm the one as a leader who's filling in the gaps, filling in whatever gap is necessary, yeah, um, and to ensure the team succeeds in, in the vision. Mm-hmm. So you mentioned that you're from Hong Kong. You live in Australia now. How did you end up in Australia? Mm-hmm. Um, my parents um, came um, back to Australia um, when I was 15. 
and so yeah so and then i yeah then i finished my high school and and um went went on to university um so that that's kind of my my, my um yeah. So childhood. how do you spend your time when you're not working? Oh, gee, um, <laughs> because I travel travel so much. Um, yeah. My my favorite thing to do when I'm working is um, just be with my dogs. Um, yeah. yeah, you know, um, dogs are such wonderful, beautiful creatures, and we co-evolved with them. You know, mm-hmm. um, you yeah, actually, you know, you know, the whole talk on co-evolving of dogs and humans is actually, you know, mm-hmm. and I really don't think we're truly human unless we're living with, with, with dogs, at least from my perspective. And so because yeah. I, I travel so much and it's been so little time at home, um, yeah, um, my opportunity to spend some quality time with my wife and, and my two dogs is, is, the, um, is, yeah, is, is, is very precious to myself. Yes, I imagine it is. So tell me how the pandemic um, affected your business and did it, did it require you to adjust how you did your business? I mean, obviously everybody was already remote, so that didn't do it. You know, that didn't affect what you were doing. Yeah, exactly. So we didn't have to do the fundamental restructures um, mm-hmm. that others have experienced. Well, uh, actually, during the pandemic, actually things were not too bad. Um, but what we found out is, is the poor usually don't give us money. I'm, I'm overgeneralizing for two reasons. One is they may not have the education to understand um, our cause. But secondly, they're struggling to get food on the table. The rich tend to focus on culture, hum, human causes, which are directly affected them, their personal lives, like you know, mm-hmm. maybe their sister got cancer, so they support a cancer hospital mm-hmm. as mm-hmm. as a as a couple of examples. Mm-hmm. Um, and also they may have ideologies which are which are not pro conservation, pro environment, because yeah. of the, the 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 cultural um society mm-hmm. which that, that they live. And so it's really the middle class is which is um which supports conservation and and I think most charities and when they got mm-hmm. hit um, after COVID, with the downturn, mm-hmm. with inflation, downturn of the economy, that has really hit our bottom line. So, yeah. as our middle class supporters are struggling, um, um, so is we. So, the only thing that we've been able to do at the moment is to work harder to keep our um, heads above the water, mm-hmm. um, which is not sustainable, you know, um, because eventually, yeah. if we keep working at this pace, um, you know, we'll start burning out. Um, mm-hmm. So certainly we're um, not only working harder to keep the head above the water, keep the projects going, um, mm-hmm. we're, we're constantly looking for innovative new opportunities and sense game changes of opportunities um, mm-hmm. um, to uh, allow us to progress to the next level. Mm-hmm. Life, do you employ do you employ people all over the world or are they concentrated in any particular areas like, you know, Asia or? Mm-hmm. Well, for, for, for the underground staff, I mean, I have um, two field managers um, and then um, and then through our foundations and companies that I sit on typical advisory board, we literally have hundreds of um, technicians and rangers which are employed <clears throat> to effect the meaningful change on the ground. And then... Um, in for the for the development of the charity, the fundraise, um, we have people all around the world. Okay, <clears throat> excuse me, either either volunteers 
or, mm-hmm. or uh, some instance paid staff or, or working from the home. Mm-hmm. The wonderful things about um, with the internet and everything today, they're in Canada, they're in the US, mm-hmm. um, okay. they're in New Zealand, they're all around the world. And so mm-hmm. the pool of skills and, and enthusiasm and values is almost limitless uh, as far as human resources because we don't have to restrict ourselves to geographic location. Right. So if somebody listening to this uh, when this comes goes live is thinking, God, I love what he's up to. I'd love to somehow be part of this organization. What should they do? Well, there's two ways. Normally people fall into two broad general categories. Mm-hmm. Um, time poor, money rich. So I said, please give some money to a meaningful charity such as ourselves to affect the meaningful change. You're probably vicariously living a little higher off the hook, as it were, because of the exploitation of others, not because of your fault, because goods and services are subsidized by um, eating into future capacity of the planet. So please right. give, and we can really make some meaningful differences with, with mm-hmm. those. The next group of people tend to be um, money poor, time rich, and and we have wonderful volunteers uh, you know, in all sorts of communities doing fate fundraisers and stalls sure. and running quiz nights and not only raising valuable money um, but connecting with people and providing a sense of community and purpose. Mm-hmm. So either collectivizing capital or collectivizing um, one's labor, um, we could all uh, meaningful contribute to um, a higher cause. Love it. Uh, is there anything that we haven't covered that you want to talk about before we close up? No, I'm, I'm very happy. Okay. It's been a wonderful conversation, Carol. Thank you. Well, I really appreciate it. So uh, Leif Cox, founder of the Orangutan Project, um, talking to me today from Australia, where it is tomorrow morning. <laughs> Thanks so much for being with me. I really enjoyed the conversation too. Oh, thank you, Carol. Thank you for listening to Authentically Successful. If you are a successful founder or CEO who would like to be on this program, please visit verticalelevation.com slash podcast slash apply. If you learned something from this interview and it made a difference, please share it on LinkedIn or Twitter. You can also do a quick screenshot with your phone and text it to a friend. And if you know of someone who would be a great guest, tag them on LinkedIn or Twitter to let them know about the show and include the hashtag authentically successful. I love seeing your posts and great suggestions. Lastly, we are regularly putting out new episodes and content. And to make sure you don't miss any episodes, please subscribe. Your thumbs up, ratings, and reviews go a long way to help promote the show and mean a lot to me and my team. If you want to know more, go to our website, verticalelevation.com, or follow me on LinkedIn. This is Carol Schultz. Thanks again for listening and see you next time.